Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Good evening, everybody. This is... This is Welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the American gun violence epidemic. I'm Virginia Vitzdoom, and tonight we're devoting the whole show to a conversation with Professor Alan J. Lichtman, author of Repeal the Second Amendment. In this new book, Dr. Lichtman takes us through the entire history of the Right to Bear Arms Amendment with its infamously thorny, well-regulated militia clause. He looks at background documentation of the Founding Fathers' deliberations about the amendment. He finds that nobody ever meant that an individual has a right to their own gun. So how did we get here? Dr. Lichtman also gives a disturbing history of the NRA and how they almost backed into making gun ownership a Second Amendment right. Finally, and most exciting, he offers in his last several chapters a path to repeal and ends with a post-repeal vision of national laws that could keep us all safer. Welcome, Dr. Lichtman. Thank you so much. Happy to speak with you. Great. Um, First of all, I want to say that repealing the Second Amendment is not the official platform of Gays Against Guns or any other group we work with like Moms Demand Action. Uh, Strangely, it's a pretty radical idea, but speaking for myself only, I've been waiting for someone to say what you've said in your book. Thank you so much. (laughs) What prompted you to write it when you did? What made you say, this is important and this is the time to get this idea out into the world? Three things. One, as an historian, I I studied modern America, and I realized that uh, since... 1994, a quarter of a century, the gun control movement hasn't achieved anything in Congress. In fact, it slipped backwards. The assault weapons ban was let lapsed, and a new law was passed in 2005 shielding gun manufacturers from liability for the misuse of their guns and also gun dealers from liability. Secondly, I realized particularly watching presidential campaigns, that the strategy of the gun control movement just wasn't working. That you can't just say, we support the Second Amendment, but that's like playing the game not to lose rather than to win. Next, I was inspired by an op-ed piece by the late, great Justice John Paul Stevens, by the way, a Republican appointee who voted both liberal and conservative on the court, who wrote an op-ed saying the only way to redeem the deaths of those who die from gun violence in America is through repeal of the Second Amendment. From these sources, I realized the game needs to be changed. And if we really want to have meaningful national gun control legislation, we need a new strategy a, and a bold one. And I, I went to Brandeis University, and I was also inspired by what the late great Justice Louis Brandeis said that some of the greatest things in the world always seem impossible at the time. 
Yes, I hear that. I hear that quote um, attributed to to a lot of different people. Um, I, I agree. Um, and I'm going to get to um, a little later on your your steps for getting us there. But one of the most interesting thing in the bo- book to me was the history. Um, yes. The actual amendment as enacted by Congress in 1789 and ratified by states in 1991 reads, quote, a well-regulated militia, comma, being necessary to the security of a free state, comma, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, comma, shall not be infringed. I know scholars have theorized about even those commas and what exactly connects the beginning about the militia to the end part about the right of the people to keep and bear arms. Can you talk a little about what you've concluded the founders meant in the Second Amendment? And before I do that, I want to quote you something from 1955, not ancient history. This was a memo by a constitutional authority which said that the history and the court decisions clearly indicate that the Second Amendment was intended to protect a collective right of defense through a well-regulated militia. That did not come from some gun control group. That did not come from liberals. That was an internal memo that I uncovered for the first time written by the constitutional authority for the National Rifle Association. We can talk later about how that changed. But go back to the Second Amendment. A couple of things. Not a single person involved in drafting enacting or ratifying the Second Amendment said that it protected an individual right to keep and bear private arms. That's why all the gun lobby people have to turn to other sources. And even in those other sources, they can't find anything, which is why if you look at their websites, they have all kinds of doctored and distorted quotes. My favorite is the one they quote from Thomas Jefferson, which says, We need arms for defense. Well, he wasn't talking about weaponry. He was talking about being armed with information. He was requesting letters to help them in political argument, but that's been reinterpreted by lots of folks in the gun lobby as Jefferson's endorsement of uh, weaponry. Wow. But now we have something we hadn't had earlier on, and that is the digitization of millions upon millions of documents from the constitutional period. And I've studied them, and other scholars have studied them, and almost entirely the use of the term bear arms is used in a military sense. It is almost never in millions of documents ever used in the sense of private arms. But here, I think, is the ultimate clinching argument, although it doesn't reflect all that well on the framers, it is absolutely true. Who framed the Second Amendment? James Madison. And what did James Madison, like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and so many other of the Virginia patriots own? Slaves. Do you think for one moment that James Madison and all of those other leaders of the slave states and even leaders of northern states with this tremendous prejudice against people of color would have for one moment voted for an amendment that would have given black people in America, leave aside slaves, just free blacks in America, 
a right to keep and bear private arms, not for one second. But because it's tied to the well-regulated militia that keeps arms out of the hands of black people and other non-white persons because only white people could be part of the militia under law. It wasn't until the Civil War that black people were admitted into the militia. I think that is an absolute clinching argument, along with all the others. I agree, and that's that was one of my favorite things in the book, is how you kind of ran ran through the book, how, um, uh, you know, as, as part of the country recognizing with a genocidal white supremacist past, um, you know, that point and how the NRA supported gun control for about a second in California when the Black Panthers took up arms and the way stand-your-ground laws are enforced – um, I think that's a really interesting uh, thread running through the book, starting with, with that point about the... Um... Yes, I, I trace the whole history. And I also point out that America has an incredibly rich tradition of gun controls, going all the way back to the colonial period, extending through the 19th and well into the 20th century. And I point out that a single gun control measure, state or federal, was ever struck down under the Second Amendment until 2010, when a 5-4 to four decision of the Supreme Court, written by Antonin Scalia, finally adopted the new NRA interpretation of the Second Amendment. And by the way, you know, Antonin Scalia was the great, you know, a great, great thinker, and he was the most prominent uh, profounder of the idea of originalism go back to the original intent of the framers. Well, he couldn't do that in this case, because there is no original content, as as we pointed out, for private arms. So he had to go to lots of other sources. But don't take my word for it. As you saw in the book, I cite conservative scholars, including Judge Posner, the most heavily cited uh, constitutional scholar of the 20th century, an eminent uh, Seventh Circuit conservative judge, who gave Scalia for not adhering to originalism, but instead committing the sin that conservatives have always said liberals have done, as in, for example, the Roe v. Wade decision on abortion rights, and that is read their own contemporary values into the Constitution. That's what Scalia did. Yeah, and I, I right, and you were you were doing the originalist work with all that great scholarship in the in the beginning part of the book. Um, also, There's just not a shred of evidence, yeah. you know, for this. And the other thing that the gun lobby says, oh, they wanted people to have private arms so that they could rise up against their government if their government should become tyrannical. Anyone who knows a shred of information about the Federalists who framed and adopted the Second Amendment knows that they were strict, stodgy law and order guys. The last thing that they ever wanted to tolerate was an uprising of armed citizens. In fact, under Federalist presidents, George Washington and John Adams, what did they use the militia for? To stamp out internal rebellion by aggrieved citizens, the Whiskey Rebellion, the Freeze Rebellion. I, 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 that's, I was so, that's, was my next question because it was, um, I had a little bit of, uh, dissonance there. I I didn't know until reading your book that that militia 
in the amendment referred to a kind of junior varsity for the Army and Navy, that the founders were preparing for attacks by other countries with this kind of backup citizen army. And I also learned from your book that militias were officially replaced by the National Guard in 1903. So we don't even have militias, you know, for over 100 years. And... and I was a, a connection that you that you made that I want to go into there was I was really shocked to read that right around that time, 1903, the NRA made a deal with the federal government to get surplus arms from the military at a discount for its members. Um, that's just another and this strange like um distortion of this of what a militia is and was for i i i thought um leads into that little known relationship between the nra and the gun lobby and the military can you tell a little about that yes the nra was dying at the time that uh, it's called the dick act in 1903 was adopted to establish the militia it also established a federal program of marksmanship which it farmed out to the nra and supplied the NRA with surplus weapons, with targets, with bullets, and that saved the NRA. The NRA was dying. It was moribund. And in fact, I quote uh, the CEO of the NRA saying, we became a quasi-governmental organization. It was the government, big government, socialism, if you will, that saved the NRA, which is so ironic because now... As you know, you have the NRA pounding the table and shouting against big government and handouts and socialism, and yet that is really the birth of the modern NRA. Right, and that was, um, yeah, another sort of weird thread of all that is I, I think I was confused about the the what a militia was in part because my association with the term, I remember when I first was hearing it a lot, was after Timothy McVeigh bombed the Oklahoma City Federal Building. So I thought right. of militia as, oh, that's the gun nuts who want to rise up against the government. And, and then recently the NRA has... Um, sort of suggested that the right to bear arms is connected with this radical anti-government stance, as you said. Um, and in your chapter... It's just the opposite. I know, I know. Exactly and it, the opposite. It's exactly the opposite. In your chapter um, called The NRA Reinvents the Second Amendment, um, you quote, and I remembered this, this came back to me, um, how the NRA President Wayne LaPierre referred to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms as, quote, jackbooted government thugs with the power to break in our doors, seize our guns, destroy our property, and even injure or kill us. And I didn't remember that it was only one week before the Oklahoma City bombing that killed 168 people. So, uh, I mean, it's it, it gets into bizarro world here, but, but you know, you want to talk a little about how the NRA twisted things around to mean the opposite? There are three stages, or three or four stages of the NRA. First is the one I mentioned. It starts in 1871, and they were just designed to do marksmanship. It was founded by uh, Civil War veterans. Uh, Ulysses Grant was one of the presidents of the NRA in its early hmm. days, and it was dying until it was revived by socialism, by the government in the early 20th century. And it did actually become an anti-gun control uh, lobby in the 1930s when it opposed the federal and national gun control laws. Uh, they were designed to keep uh, 
things like machine guns and sawed-off shotguns from the hands of the public. But it didn't do it on the basis of the Second Amendment. In fact, when asked, and I quote this in my book uh, by one of the congressmen about the Second Amendment, uh, the CEO of the NRA said, no, 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 you know, that's not relevant here. That's not the basis. And that was well into the 20th century. Then in 19, you pointed out, you know, when the Black Panthers got arms, that alarmed uh, lots of folks associated with the gun lobby. But the critical change came in 1977, the so-called revolt in Cincinnati at the annual meeting in Cincinnati, when a new militant leadership took over the NRA and shifted its emphasis from marksmanship and hunting and gun safety to anti-gun control, and then adopted, hijacked the Second Amendment and completely twisted its meaning from what even the NRA had all earlier said was its meaning. Mm-hmm. And it, this was maybe the greatest public relations coup in American history, certainly one of them. It sponsored all of the scholarship to change the scholarship on the NRA. It wasn't done by historians. It was done by lawyers. They call it law office scholarship associated with the NRA, and then they got Charlton Heston, you know, the great actor, uh-huh. to be the public face. Cold dead hands. And criti- yes. <laughs> and their critical argument now was the Second Amendment, which they completely distorted to authorize an unlimited right to keep and bear private arms. Keep in mind, the NRA says, you know, we want to protect law-abiding citizens, you know, from the criminals. But they couldn't care less who gets the guns gangbangers, drug dealers, people, you know, inclined to suicide, domestic abusers. You know, just last year, the NRA furiously lobbied against the Protection of Women from Violence Act. Why? Because it would take guns out of the hands of domestic abusers who kill so many women each year. They don't care who gets the guns. Remember, who's paying the bills to a significant extent? The gun makers. And, you know, the more guns they sell, no matter who they, who gets them, the more money the gun manufacturers make and the more money goes to the NRA, who, by the way, has become a racket, as you may have seen in, in, in my book. $1.4 million to Wayne LaPierre, the CEO, $1.2 million to the number two guy, uh, half a dozen or more making upwards of $600,000. And they're supposed to be a charitable, educational organization. And by the way, that doesn't trickle down to the rank and file, as I point out in my book. Yeah, no, there's a quite a, with their schmancy, um, what, what's the, the Ackerman that they've hired? The um, yeah, it, it, Yes, Ackerman PR. And this doesn't count all the perks that go to those people on the top, you know, Beverly Hills wardrobes, lavish exactly, exactly. vacations. Not the, not the guy. Not Uncle Dick in the deer stand, uh, yeah, with his uh, no, in his no. flannel shirt. And, um, that's right. That's caused a lot of dissension among you know some of the members and leaders of the NRA. It's a it's now. a real c- cultural gap. Um, yeah, reading uh, you know these quotes by Lapierre and others. Uh, Lapierre said, um, in arguing against an international arms treaty. If every family on the planet owned a good quality rifle, genocide would be on the path to extinction. And around the same time, I know, Reggie, Reggie is just making the face of, of sort of disbelief, which I made through this 
all the stuff about the NRA. They said the 2012 massacre in the theater in Aurora, Colorado, was an inside job by the government to win support for the arms treaty. Um, even their whole argument that guns make us safer, which flies in the face of so much data, like uh, strict strict states to lax states, con- our country to other countries. And I just I want to ask you, reading so much about the NRA message, it, it gets disorienting the same way having Trump for a president is disorienting. I was thinking how like some evildoers are smart and strategic and they seduce people by painting a reasonable picture of why you need to do their evil. But the NRA and Trump both are are it's more Orwellian and and everything they say is so lacking in sense that it feels nihilistic, like there's nothing even to argue against, like you're yeah. saying things that that don't make sense. And, you know, since Trump's election, I've read that that's an actually an authoritarian strategy. So I wanted Absolutely. to a- I wanted to ask you, why do you think the NRA consistently doubles down on its nonsense, on things that just literally make no sense? And why has it been effective? Yeah. The first, second answer, second question answers your first. They keep doing it because it works. Same thing with Trump. He's not going to change because he's never been held accountable for what he's done. And the NRA's Second Amendment strategy, you know, to let anyone, anywhere, anytime, no matter who you are, get guns, is working. And this is called the big lie. And you're right. It is the favorite tactic of autocrats. Say something, no matter how outrageous keep saying it, say it loudly enough, and a good segment of the public will come to believe it. And, of course, the ultimate expression of that was given to us by George Orwell in his 1984, where it reaches the point, you know, where war is peace, famine is plenty, hate is love, and that's very much what the NRA is dishing out. You know, you mentioned, according to the NRA, we should be among our pure democracies by far the safest one in the world, because they all have these strict Right. You know, criminals should be preying on the innocent. Well, as I point out in my book, if you look at our closest peer nations, the G7 group, which is nations like Germany and Italy and Britain and Canada, uh, plus Australia, get this, an American is more than 20 times per capita, per person, likely to be murdered by a gun than a resident of our peer democracies. Not 20 percent, 20 Times. And when it comes to suicides by guns, and by the way, there were more gun suicides in America, over 23,000, than gun murders, which are about 15,000. An American is seven times more likely than a resident per capita of our peer nations to commit suicide by a gun, but 40% less likely to commit suicide by other means. You know, these other nations, they have violent video games, violent culture, poverty, you know, the same issue, mental health, the difference is, is gun control. Same thing with the states, as you point out. I I, I, I knew this was going to happen. The, the half hour flies by, wow. um, and there's so much, I know, and there's so much more that I wanted to talk about, but I will just say to the listeners – Please buy this book because there's there's the great um, sort of analysis of the history and the problem, but
But as I mentioned at the top, the the really inspiring path forward using prohibition, we have repealed an amendment before. It is possible. And there are other examples that you give of, you know, um, tobacco and cars. And there are other industries where it seemed gay like w- gay rights. Yes, which was a yeah. great one. Who for gays against, Who would have thought that there would be gay marriage? I love that you included yeah. that in there. Um, that was that was a nice one for, for our group. Um, yes. So I just want to thank you so much for uh, for talking with us and encourage everybody listening to buy Repeal the Second Amendment by Alan J. Lichtman. Important, important book. Thank you for writing it. Thank you for a great substantive discussion. We could have gone on for hours. We could have. I know. But all right. Bye-bye. All right. Um, So... Uh, to find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at Gaze Against Guns New York on Facebook and Instagram or Gagno Guns on Twitter. Also, be sure to check out our website to learn more about gag chapter- chapters or others in Orlando, L.A., D.C., Chicago, and San Francisco. Um, we invite everybody listening to come join us, although in these uh, uh, coronavirus times, we actually aren't having our Thursday meeting this Thursday, um, so online is a better way to connect with us now. Um, who knows what's going to happen and when, but uh, for this Thursday, our every other week meeting is, is not going to be meeting in person. Um, another great way to get involved is by becoming a WBAI buddy. A WBA buddy is someone who keeps our unique volunteer-run radio show going by giving a small donation every month, just a a tiny donation. So please go to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602 and become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. Thank you so much for listening. We are back next Tuesday and every Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. Uh, do we have time for the Sing Out Louise? Great. So don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the BAI website or on any major podcast platform. We leave you with our fabulous political singing quartet, Sing Out Louise, with a song that I think goes perfectly with Dr. Lickman's book, We Gotta Have Faith That We Can Break This Lobby. If we could break your lobby, cause no, not every lobby knows how to lobby like you. No, and you never think twice before you take our dreams away. Well, we say the NRA and all the cash you blew. Oh, yeah, you bought up Congress for 20 million and then the White House 30 million more. Well, you can spend your heart out a billion, zillion. We don't care about your money. We are showing you the door. Because we got to have faith. We got to have faith. Oh, yeah, we got to have faith, the faith, the faith. We got to have faith, the faith, the faith. Baby, we won't go back to yesterday. So please, 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 sashay away. You are giving us the blues. Maybe we're gonna break the money chain Then we won't have to feel the pain Of another day loaded down With a lot of bad news Just watch this river